to walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. So please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we come this morning to verses 13 through 16. It's really the conclusion of the introduction of the sermon. So it's taken us a little over two months to get through the introduction to the the conclusion now of the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus has gathered his disciples. They're on a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, the 12 there, and there are other disciples, um, little d disciples, we would call them, and then there are others gathered around listening to the teaching of Jesus. And these verses transition us from what we have described as the countercultural kingdom citizens, the Beatitude people. Um, transition from looking at uh, what that looks like and what those lives um, mean and, and how they live those lives, the Beatitudes. Now transitioning to spreading those character traits, to spreading that blessedness that, uh, that Christ has called them to, to spreading that uh, spiritual prosperity, um, the, the uh, blessedness, the position of envy that Christ has given to them. We're moving from what that looks like to, to spreading that through, through influence in the world and through the impact on the world, through um, how we live and what we say in our lives. It's interesting that in Jesus' first teaching, he, he talks about this. And in the Matthew, uh, the last verses that Matthew writes um, in, verse, in chapter 28 say this, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus said at the very beginning in his sermon, he says at the very end of Matthew, and he's saying you not only need to live a life like this, you need to spread this life to all the nations. You know, I think if Jesus would have stopped at, at uh, verse 10, the last beatitude that um, you do all these things, you are these people, you do these things, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I think if he was stopped there, it would have been a bit discouraging for the disciples. I mean, they're being asked, first of all, to do something they cannot do. That's why we say we need to, we need to continue to go through this cycle of, of reminding ourselves of our, broke, our emptiness, our, our bankruptcy, our brokenness, our, and, and bow meekly before the Savior, and then seek righteousness. We need to continue to do that because we don't do that perfectly. If he would have stopped there, only to say, do these things, something you can't do, only to be persecuted for trying to live a life of meekness, trying to live a life of, of righteousness and mercy and peace. I'm wondering if the disciples would say, you know, we'd be better off just being monks and going up into the hill, or I don't know what lady monks are, monkettes, I, I'm not sure <laughs> what those are. Just living in isolation some, someplace and, and doing this on, on our own because it, it seems impossible to do these things in society. But at the same time, 
it is impossible also because the righteous life always attracts attention. The righteous life will always be known. And that usually comes in the form of opposition. In other words, the Christian is not poor in spirit, mournful over sin, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, all in the comfort of our own home, in isolation. But the disciples must be thinking, what possible influence or, or impact can, can we have on the world other than, other than bringing joy to those who hate us so they can persecute us? What can the poor in spirit, the meek, uh, those whose only weapon is, is a pure heart, what kind of influence and impact can they have on a world that is at war with peacemakers? Especially when the Beatitude people are such a small, insignificant minority of people in the world. But Jesus does not share that skepticism. He's going to tell us that the role of the persecuted is to serve the persecutors. Jesus called this small group of fishermen, nobodies really, um, to, to change the world. And he uses two metaphors to define the, the influence and the, the impact of the disciples of Jesus on the world. He's describing two worldviews, two worldviews that, that collide. And Jesus says this small group is the only hope for the world who hates them. That is the call. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, do not disengage. Do not disengage from the world. Stay in the world. Be salt and be light in the world, no matter how difficult it becomes. You know, for a missionary, and um, when, we, when Lori and I were in missions, you know, I don't know if you know their Peter principle, but Peter principle says that you rise to the level of your um, of your um, inabilities. You get to a point where you're not useful anymore and that's as high as you go. Well, I rose to that point in, in, in missions and um, worked for a few years working with missionaries. And what we found out, found out during that time was that uh, for a missionary, the job becomes very difficult after about two years. The first two years is, is kind of a honeymoon. And someone goes and they study language and they're not really actively involved in a ministry yet. Their job is to learn the language. After that two years, the honeymoon is over. And they're expected to jump into a ministry, still not speaking the language totally adequately, not having been involved in the ministry. And, and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're told to jump into this ministry. And what we found is that that was a difficult period. And, and during that period, many missionaries disengage from the ministry. We, they, they just can't do it. And if they make it through that first four years, they usually don't return. You see, we get to the point in our lives in one way or another where we say, I can't do this anymore. 
and we, and we just disengage. And Jesus says, be salt and light in the world. Christians, don't disengage from the world. Because beatitude people are rubbed into the wounds of our world to stop its decay. And beatitude people shine as light in the darkness of this world. And without us, without beatitude people, society rots in moral decay. Society stumbles in the darkness of sin. So we must stay engaged in the world. And in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, he tells us how to do that. He's going to say that Beatitude people influence the world through showing Christ, and Beatitude people impact the world through sharing Christ. Let me read those verses for us. Verse 13. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus said those words to some Galilean fishermen, people from nowhere. The disciples must have thought, who, me? They were insignificant. But as a little salt has an effect on a large area, so do the lives of those 12 disciples on the world. He said, you are the hope of the world. There was no, no plan B. Small numbers cause great influence and great impact. Stay engaged because Beatitude people influence the world by showing Christ and impact the world through sharing Christ. I don't know if you remember if you were in elementary school. I don't know if they still do it, but we used to have show and tell. You'd bring something to school and you'd show it and you'd tell a story about it. Well, I think Jesus is giving the disciples the show and tell of the Christian life. He's saying there are two basic things that are in every household that you need to know about. And these are the basic things of the Christian life. The world is going bad and it needs salt. The world is dark, and it needs light. Let's look at those two metaphors. First of all, Beatitude people influence the world by being salt, by showing Christ. You know, he just makes a statement of fact here. says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's an emphatic you. You and no one else. You and no other group of people are the salt and the light of the world. You are the only salt that the earth will ever taste. 
So the question is not, are, are, we, are we salt? If you, if you trust Christ as your Savior, if you have uh, accepted Christ as your Lord, the Lord of your life, you are salt. The only question is, what kind of salt will we be? Will we be pure salt or will we be impure salt? Will we be salt with taste or will we be tasteless salt? Will we be... Um, 100% salt, or will we be diluted salt? And Jesus uses these two common metaphors, things found in, in every home, salt and light in every home. Light seems the simplest to apply um, about what Jesus is saying here, but what about salt? What is Jesus saying? Well, obviously, he's not saying anything that the disciples would not understand. They would understand whatever it is that he is saying. But what is he saying? Well, we understand a lot of things about salt. Usually, um, we understand it from our experience in the world. Salt is a staple in every home. Uh, it's readily available. It's cheap. It can be purchased in any grocery store. Most people think of it as just simply an, an inexpensive, uh, readily available white grain that flavors our food. It's in every restaurant, every kitchen, on every dining table. We like it so much that doctors are now telling us we need to eat less of it. I would dispute that. My mom uh, oversalted everything that she ate, and she lived to be 100 years old. So I'm not quite sure the doctor's right on that. But salt is in every aspect of our life. Not only favor, uh, flavors our food, it, um, it removes odors. If you live up north, uh, it melts the salt that, or melts the snow that's on the street. You can go to a spa and get something called a salt something or another, salt rub scrub or whatever it is. It, it's supposed to make your skin beautiful and, 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 and soft, whatever that is. You ladies probably know more about that than I would. If you put it in some warm water, it makes your throat feel better. I didn't know this, but apparently it speeds up cooking. I did know this. It gets rid of ants and weeds and snails. And what, what young boy hasn't taken his mom's salt shaker and when he saw a slug out on the driveway. Yeah, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you did that. I did that. It gets rid of those things. It's a food supplement. It makes your teeth white. Hmm. Makes your breath fresh. If you live in Lehigh Acres, it conditions your water. <laughs> it relieves bug bites. And, and on and on, the uses of salt. If you're playing sports and, and you're you're um, about out of gas, your coach will give you a salt tablet. I used to think that's crazy. Thing. I'm, I'm more thirsty now than I was before, but that's the purpose of it. It makes you thirsty. It makes you drink water so you're hydrated. All kinds of things that salt is used for. In the Bible, there are a few, uh, few of those same things, but there are some things that are not mentioned uh, or that we don't normally think of. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, um, salt is used for sacrifices, and it's, and it's mentioned as a, in relation to covenants. In Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, 
You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt is mentioned with covenants. It's mentioned in Exodus 30 with, with, that it purifies, that salt purifies us. Job says in Job 6.6, 6, is, is it possible to eat any food that is not uh, tasteful without salt? That's how we would understand it. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, it says, Be filled with salt so that you have peace in your relationships. It's mentioned with peace. So all these things going on, if, if Jesus is saying, Be salt of the earth, what is he talking about? What would the disciples have understood? Remember, these guys are fishermen. If you and I were to go fishing, we get go down to Fort Myers Beach, if they're, if they're running again, the, the, the charter boats and we get on, what do we take with us to put our fish in? We take a cooler with what in it? Ice. Why? So our fish don't rot in the sun after we catch them before we get them home to cook them. Well, in Jesus' day, he's talking to fishermen, but there were no coolers. There, were, there, were, there was no ice. There was no refrigeration. So when they heard this, they're thinking, salt. That's how we keep our fish. We, we catch fish, we either cook them immediately, because if they're out in the sun, they're going to rot, or we salt them. We rub salt in them, and the salt pulls out the moisture, and, and if you've traveled or you've been around fishing areas in, in other parts of the world especially, you'll see, you'll see dried, salted fish just hanging to be purchased days later, weeks later. It is used as a deterrent for decay. And Jesus is contrasting these two worldviews, and the idea is not that the world is tasteless and, and Christians need to make it more palatable, although there may be some truth in that, but the world doesn't like the way we taste. So there may not be as much truth in there as we think. But the idea is that without salt, the earth is like those fish in the sun. It begins to rot morally. And that the world is morally rotting and it cannot help it. If you put a piece of meat out in the sun, it can't help it. It's going to rot. It's the only thing that piece of meat can do. There's nothing it can do to stop itself from rotting. I read an article this week said during, uh, since the court outlawed prayer, the nation has been in a steady moral decline. You know, you, you can see the rotting of our society. All you have to do is look... When we take God out of society, what happens to society? This article said this, former Secretary of Education William Bennett revealed in his cultural indexes that between 1960 and 1990, divorce doubled. Teenage pregnancy went up 200%. Teen suicide increased 300%. Violent crime went up 500%. And he maintains that there is a strong correlation between the expulsion of prayer from our schools and the decline in morality. Amen. When we take God out of our society, our society decays. And the church is the only salt that they will ever know. 
It's the only way to stop or at least retard, slow down the rotting in our society. And Jesus says you are to influence the world as salt influences rotting fish. Jesus is saying that you and you only are the salt of the earth. That means that when the church is the church, when we are, when we are beatitude people, when we are beatitude people in the world that is decaying like rotting fish, the church influences that society. How do we do that? Well, we need to realize that we are decaying. That's not hard to do. According to LifeWay Research, 46% of all Americans never think about whether they will go to heaven or not. One-fifth of all U.S. adults have no religious affiliation. One-fifth, 20%. In 1972, that number was 7%. Three times the number of people since that time. 73% of religious, religiously unaffiliated support gay marriage. 72% support legalized abortion. We are a rotting society. 66% of all U.S. adults believe that religion is losing its influence on American society. Losing its influence on American life. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth and it's important that you remain salt. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Impure salt is useless. This is a warning about losing our influence in the world. He's saying that the effectiveness of salt is conditional. Now, these people would have understood salt, and they knew about the Dead Sea. In the Dead Sea, you can go and you can just float there. Uh, it's so full of salt. You, you, um, you don't have to do anything. It's going to be hard to drown in the Dead Sea. However, along the Dead Sea, there are other minerals. And there's a white powder that contains salt, but it contains other minerals as well. And sometimes salt can be the most soluble of all of those minerals. And it washes out. It, it leaves this white dust. It's, it's salt. It's got salt in it, but it's useless for any purpose. It contains salt, but it's not pure. It's not pure salt. It becomes a white dust. And that white dust is used to spread out on the roads. It, it makes the roads hard. And so when he says it, it, it's no good for anything to, but to be trampled under feet, he's saying it, you become uh, useful for nothing but being road salt. It was useless as salt. And so it was trampled under feet to make roads. The Christian saltiness is the Christian character of the Beatitudes. Christian saltiness means that we are beatitude people. And to influence society like, like Christ, we must be like Christ. And in the beatitudes, we see the perfect picture of Christ. And he says, you must be this salt and you must remain salty. 
If we think, if we talk, if we act like the world, if we become contaminated by, by the impurities of the world, then we lose our influence to retard the rotting society in which we live. And so Jesus is saying, don't disengage from the world. George read for us John uh, 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples, and he's also praying for us. And in verse 15, he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, in the, keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How do we stay salty? We stay in the word. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I, rec I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus is saying we are to salt the earth and we are to light the world. And how do we do that? We stay in the world, but not of the world. We do that by being beatitude people. You know, I remember a time in, in my life, I don't remember if it was in the 70s or 80s, but there was a big push that uh, we thought if, if we could just get more believers into the political process, into office, if we can get a Christian president, then our country's going to turn around. Well, how's that worked out? There have been those. But you know, Jesus uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I'm not against people, Christians being polished, the, the, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. But he's saying it takes more than one grain of salt. It takes a lot of grains of salt. And as salty people, you are to be singularly focused on Jesus, peacemakers in all the relationships of, of our lives, merciful to sinners all around us, seeking righteousness wherever there is none. Because the government can never replace the church. Now, who are these people today? Who are those who are salt of the earth? It's the high school kid on a bas basketball team living his faith. It's a young girl in a community drama club. It's a young boy on a baseball team. It's a father coaching a baseball team. It's a homeschool mother teaching her kids. It's a man or a woman showing mercy to a coworker. It's a grandmother eating with her grandchild in the restaurant and asking the waitress what she can pray for her. It's a volunteer at the pregnancy center. It's a husband living the Beatitudes in front of his wife and his family. It's believers infiltrating every area of our society because presence changes conversations and presence changes thinking. And I hope you're the person who's at the water fountain at work and and you walk up and the ones around them telling the dirty jokes say, oh, you know, let's stop telling, here comes, here comes Fred. Fred doesn't like dirty jokes. That's being salt. Earning, earning the, the respect of those around you. In Genesis chapter 18, there's a story that, that you're all familiar with. 
chapter 18, um, Abraham intercedes for Sodom. And God is going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham says, you know, if they're righteous in this city, will you destroy? And he says, if you can find 50 in the city, I will spare the whole place. And, and Abraham says, how about 40? Well, if you can find 40, I'll spare the whole place. How about 30? How about 20? And, he's, and he gets down, he says, Lord, don't be angry with me, but what about 10? And Jesus says, if you can find 10 in the city, I will spare the city. 10, a small group of 10 influencers in the city. Believers spare the world of the wrath of God. And God has called Providence Church to be salt. It's not just one grain. It's not just two grains. But it's, it's being poured out of our salt shakers. God has prepared us, I believe, for this moment. I believe in his providence that we're, we're even talking about this. He's brought a unique group of people into Providence Church. He's brought teachers and, and new believers and um, many different ethnicities and um, he, different social and economic strata throughout the church. It's a complex group of people. And I believe that uh, he has called us to this point in, in our church life. You know, we went, we've been hidden in this, um, in this complex office complex since before COVID. And during COVID, we grew a little bit, which was God's grace. Since then, we have grown more. Now we're looking to become more visible if the Lord should uh, allow us to build a building. And he's brought this group of folks who are and are becoming beatitude people. And he's saying, you are here for a purpose and you need to stay salty. You need to preserve society of Lehigh Acres and of Southwest Florida and around the world through your influence so that people can taste the godliness of seeing Christ in you. You need to influence your world. But that's not all he says. Influence is not enough. He says, Beatitude people impact the world by being light, by sharing Christ. And as with salt, he says, you are light. The question is, are you going to shine? Are you going to shine that light? Light is visible. So what do we, what do they see when they look at us. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. What they see when they see our light is, is good works. What does that mean? They see our life and they hear our words. We live it and we, we preach it. But what is it that we live and we preach. What is, what is this light that he's talking about? I think it has to do with the knowledge of God. In 2 Corinthians, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, says this, 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That through the face of Jesus Christ, they, they gain the knowledge of the glory of God. In 1 John chapter 1, it reads this way, That which was from the beginning, which you have heard, which you have seen with, your, with our eyes, uh, which we looked upon, have a touch with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What, he's, what is he talking about? He's talking about Christ. We have seen Christ. We've touched him. We know he is there. And he goes on and says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That is the message that we preach. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. God is light. He says the word is light. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God is light. His word is light. Jesus is light. This all comes together and he's saying, you are to preach. You are to proclaim this. You are to proclaim this gospel that the Father through the word has made the Son known to us. Paul understood this in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 14, he writes these words. Verse 14, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You shine as lights in the world. And he goes on and he says, the light of a city cannot be hidden in verse 14. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Cities were built on hills. Why? It was easy to defend. It's easier to fight going down than coming up. But if you're in Jerusalem, you can see the next big city on a hill. You can see that light. And if you're in Galilee, you can see the light on the East Coast cities. And he's saying, you are to be like this. A traveler can see where he's going. He, he never gets lost. And, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And you need to be that. Some people think he's referring to Jerusalem here. And he's saying, you know, Jerusalem has rejected me. They're no longer the city on the hill, but you are. That the church is now the city on the hill. And we are to shine so brilliantly in the darkness with the gospel that Christ can be seen from far away. And he uses another example that for the disciples must have been nonsense. He said a house on a hill, um, he talks about light in a house, not hidden. You don't put it under a basket. You don't put it under a piece of pottery. And the disciples say, hey, that's, that's a pretty good one, Lord. We, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Nobody would do that. That's a crazy thing to do. You put it on a lampstand. You let it shine so the whole house sees it. It's a warning of the danger of failing to shine our lights. There are some people who have the light, 
but it never shines. Never gives light to those in the house. Some people think that refers to Israel. Whoever it refers to, the point is, the purpose of light is to shine the gospel. Why? The ultimate reason, verse 16, and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. When we do this right, some will come to Christ and the Father in heaven will get the glory. Takes us right back to the Beatitudes. Bankrupt in spirit, we have nothing to give to God. We are broken because of our sin. We bow down in meekness and worship God. We seek to obey Him in righteousness. We are merciful with each other. We, are, we have blinders on for Christ. We are, we are pure in heart. We are willing one thing. And we make peace between God and man. You see, it's through humility, the humility of the beatitude person that God gets the glory. When salt loses its saltiness, when light does not shine, we are saying that my glory is more important than God's glory. That I am more important than God. That salt and light, they have one thing in common. They give themselves and they expend themselves. When you put salt on a steak, it has one purpose to flavor that steak, and you don't see it anymore. It's just the opposite of the self-centered works religion that we are so used to. It's for the glory of God. The psalmist says, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Christian characters described in the Beatitudes. Christian influence and impact is described as salt and light. <coughs> influence depends on character. It's not an easy calling. But when we do this, we are the blessed of God. God declares us blessed, and we are blessed by fulfilling our, our task of being salt and light. But also when we do this, the world is blessed. This is the hope of a lost and dark world. And finally, when we do this, God is glorified. We are blessed. The world is blessed and God is glorified. So as members of this Countercultural kingdom that Jesus has been talking about, beatitude people. Jesus teaches us that this, this radical life, lifestyle, it brings blessing to us, salvation to others, and glory to God. The whole reason for the beatitudes is to influence the world by being salt and by, by impacting the world, by shining its light, by illuminating the gospel in darkness. And Jesus says, do not disengage. These are not good deeds that earn us salvation. These are good deeds that prove our salvation. Right. If you do this well, you'll get no praise. But God will. 
When we get to heaven, we will no longer be the light of the world. We must do this now. You only get one chance to be salt and light in the world. Let's pray together.